morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Monument. It's great to be here with you today, whether you're here in the building or with us online. This has been a wonderful week. If you're a visitor with us today, we are closing out our global conference. This is the second Sunday of global conference. This is a time when, as a faith community, we gather to support our partners that are doing ministry here in the States and all over the world. Uh, we share with them, we hear from them, and we're encouraged uh, by their testimony. And so we're excited to continue today in that attitude of worship. Now, yesterday, I had a uh, scheduled appointment with a friend in the community to go for an early morning walk. And uh, when I got to his house, it was still dark. And as I approached his front porch, I noticed that on his front porch was his jacket and a pair of shoes. And I thought, did I miss the rapture? <laughs> so I texted him. Because if I missed the rapture, I guess I figured that he'd have a cell phone with him in heaven. I don't know. Uh, Thankfully, I didn't, but I was reminded uh, as I thought about that a little bit more this morning that while the Lord tarries and keeps us here, there is still much work to be done for the kingdom. And uh, it's weeks like these where we can be encouraged and uplifted uh, and challenged ourselves to see and to hear and to learn more about all of the work uh, that's out there to be done. So today... Very excited to be able to introduce Matt. Matt, uh, not just a global partner, but a personal friend and someone I've gotten to know very well uh, over the last number of years. I don't think that Matt fully knows uh, the, the sustaining and positive influence that he's been on my life and ministry over the past number of years as an ear to chew on and a person to just bounce ideas off of and to listen to and, and to listen to him, and we've shared a lot of things together, and uh, he's been such an encourager, and so I'm very thankful for him, very thankful for his family, and as he comes today, I just want to pray and, and look forward to hearing how the Lord uses him. Father, thank you so much uh, for Matt. Thank you for his ministry with OMF and for the places that you've called him to, the people that you have brought into his life for him to equip, and just for his faithfulness to walk in obedience and to walk by faith, an example, Lord, um, in, in his life. And Father, we know that this, that's not always easy, that each day comes with its own challenges and difficulties, and uh, we're just thankful that he's been faithful to the call you've placed on his life. Lord, as we've heard testimony this week from the global church, we gather today to pray in unison the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thank you, Pastor Chris. It has been a joy to, uh, yeah, be part of this fellowship. We're grateful uh, to be here. We're grateful for uh, the Global Outreach Committee that's put on an amazing conference this week. Can we give them a hand clap of thanks? They've done an awesome job. Uh, my wife and I, we've been so grateful for the generosity of this church uh, from helping us move 
and uh, letting me use an office from time to time. Uh, all the energy that the Awana and Sunday School leaders have poured into our children. Um, it's been uh, a great blessing to be here. We're very grateful, so thank you for welcoming us. Uh, I'm excited to share God's Word with you today, but first I want to share a little bit about uh, my role uh, with OMF. So OMF's vision, i got to find the clicker here. I have it written down. There we go. OMF's vision is, through God's grace, we aim to see an indigenous biblical church movement in each people group of East Asia, evangelizing their own people and reaching out in mission to others' peoples. OMS vision is mission movements. We can't finish the mission alone, nor were we meant to. The Great Commission is for the whole body of Christ. It's the vision of the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. We began with a single person, with a singular vision, the vision of Hudson Taylor to spread the gospel to the inland regions of China. But now, uh, we're a community of about 2,500 field and support workers from at least 40 countries serving all over East Asia and around the world wherever there is a diaspora community from East Asia. Last month, I was in Thailand for a conference with about 40 other of my uh, colleagues that work with the short-term uh, program. And they came from places like Malaysia and Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, the Philippines, Thailand, the Netherlands, UK, Canada, Australia, and more. It's an incredible privilege to be part of a global body of Christ serving the Lord together for the same mission and vision. My role is part of the U.S. mobilization team uh, specifically overseeing our short-term missions program, uh, which we call SurveAsia. So we send teams and individuals around the world for up to 12 months, uh, serving alongside our long-term workers uh, in whatever ways that they're able to help. And there are many. Uh, we, on, on our end, we provide training and debriefing and follow-up coaching for all those participants uh, with the goal First of all, to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus, and then to find their place in his great mission. Let me just show you a one-minute video uh, that kind of describes uh, what we do here. The world is changing. In the midst of uncertainty, we continue to pursue God's heart for serving the people of East Asia. That's where you come in. You have been uniquely shaped by God's love. Will you share that love and join his mission to make disciples? Serve Asia is one of the OMF communities doing just that, sharing God's love and hope with East Asia. Whether it's two weeks, two months, or one year, it will mean joining a team and embracing a journey that will transform you forever. We don't expect you to journey alone. We walk with you each step of the way and you'll make friendships with other Asia workers to last a lifetime. You'll be out of your comfort zone, but you'll have the opportunity to work alongside mission partners and local believers. No matter how the world changes, we will keep going, because God has called us all to make disciples 
this is more than a cause. Join us and find your place in mission. Last week, I had the privilege of uh, meeting up with a gal from uh, Texas on Zoom. Uh, she has just returned from 11 months in Japan. And man, that's one of my favorite things of the whole that I get to do is just hear how God worked in her life. Uh, she really felt like she grew in faith and in prayer and hear how God was using her. There was a, a, a lady named um, Miho that she got to meet over those 11 months and build a relationship with and share the good news with through her life and her words. And even though Miho uh, did not come to faith yet, uh, she can continue to pray for her. And I would love if you would remember to pray for Miho as well. Uh, the Japanese are the second largest unreached people group in the world. Many people think of Japan as a well-developed nation, and we get Christianity and uh, material wealth confused sometimes. But the Japanese are very much unreached. Uh, there's a lot of people there and less than 1% Christians. So I'd like to take a moment now to pray for Miho and the people of Japan and uh, for the time in our word today. Uh, Father, we are so grateful uh, to be part of your mission, Lord, to, to get to know people like Carissa who uh, give up a year of their life to go over and serve you and just to be a witness in a place where there are very few um, Christians. Lord, we pray for Miho that you would continue to turn her heart toward you, draw her, put people in her path, uh, to share the good news so that she can find the hope of Jesus. And we pray now for our time in the word. God, would you speak to us? Would it burn in our hearts uh, so that we can't escape it, God, but just let your spirit uh, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is going to be 1 Kings 19. Uh, and for the astute observer, you'll notice that former versions of the uh, the global outreach pamphlet said Judges 19. I don't know what possessed me to think that Elijah was in Judges, but please tell me if you find him there, because I looked and I couldn't find him. So we're going to go to 1 Kings, and we're going to find Elijah in chapter 19. So let me uh, start in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stone and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went, and the strength of that food forty days and forty nights in Horeb, excuse me, in the strength, uh, to, he went to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel should, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Elijah had just come down from the mountain top. Emotionally and spiritually and physically, we see him diving hard into the valley. He had just witnessed God display his power in an incredible way. 450 prophets of Baal made fools of themselves, chanting and dancing and even cutting themselves to try to convince their God to burn his own altar. But none of it did any good. Baal never woke up. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the temples that I saw in South Asia. They have bells outside these idol houses that they ring to wake up the idol. And every day, people are there burning incense and cleaning and doing different rituals to take care of this idol. But nothing changes. The idol stays right there. It's still made of metal and stone and wood. There's no life. Back in 1 Kings 18, Elijah says a simple prayer. And God demonstrates his power with an incredible bolt of fire from heaven. The God of Elijah was not sleeping. And everyone realized in that moment that he was the true God. 
After that incredible experience, this is our backdrop, Elijah came down the mountain, and he found out very quickly that not everybody was happy about this display of power. In fact, Elijah found out that Jezebel was coming after him. She put a threat on his life. And for whatever reason, Elijah, that had just seen this incredible display of power from God, maybe I would have done the same thing, but for whatever reason, Elijah just bolted, and he ran away. He ran all the way to the southernmost part of the nation of Israel, to the bottom of Judah, to Beersheba, and there he left his servant, and then that wasn't good enough. Then he kept going another day and a half until he finally came to the end of himself, the end of the road, rock bottom. Elijah was in the pit of despair. In verse 4, it says, And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I wonder if any of you have felt like that. Have you ever experienced God doing something amazing only a short time later to find yourself wondering if the world would be better off without you? I, I, I've been there. I've been there a few times. Uh, first time I remember was uh, my, my senior year of high school. God answered so many prayers. Uh, I got to speak at graduation. It was so amazing. And then I came home wondering, what would the world be different without me? Would, would it be better off without me? And I've experienced other ups and downs in exciting times and trying times and seminary and planning a church out in Colorado and moving here. Uh, there's been some challenging moments. And by God's grace, praise him, <laughs> I'm still here and uh, grateful. And collectively, as a church, I think we go through similar cycles. We see God bring revival and the church growing and sending out people to the world. And then at other moments, we find ourselves wondering, like, should we just shut our doors? Are we making any difference here? What good are we? Uh, not only our church, I think, but the entire sort of American church can feel like it's under threat. Like there's some kind of a Jezebel in Hollywood or in the government or even in the public school boards. Is what I hear people think they're out to get us. They're going to eliminate us from school. They're going to shut down our churches, all these things. There's articles coming out about actors saying, of course, Hollywood has a bias against Christians. And the irony here is that Jezebel didn't actually kill Elijah. She only made a threat. I, I'm, I'm still scratching my head about that. Like, why didn't she just send somebody to kill him? She, instead, she sent a messenger saying, I'm coming after you. And that was enough. That was enough to get what she wanted because Elijah found his way out of there. And in fact, he found his way to a place where she didn't have to kill him. He wanted to die himself. And there's something about threats and fear. And I think in our collective identity, the threat and fear of being extinguished or persecuted can cause more damage to our faith than actual 
persecution. Let me expand a little more. I think even in the missions world, we can be uh, guilty of this sort of under threat mentality. I, I remember growing up, and there was a huge concern because the missionaries from the greatest generation, the Elizabeth Elliot generation, who answered God's call to go overseas shortly after World War II, and they saw God do amazing things in the tribal areas all over the world. They were beginning to retire, and the anxiety was, what's going to happen? They're retiring, and there's not enough people to replace them. Who's going to go now and spread the gospel around the world? And even now, here at this conference, I find it very interesting that like half of the missionaries were celebrating, and we should celebrate, don't get me wrong here, half of the missionaries here we're celebrating are retiring. Are are we in another place where we're going to be anxious? and feel threatened that the, our missionary identity is going to be um, cut out. You know, how, how is this going to happen? Is, is this the end? So this is how Elijah felt. He knew the history of the Israelites, dismissing and killing the prophets before him, and it's like all his fears of history repeating itself were coming true. And he felt alone, and he felt tired, and he felt scared. And I would add, he was also forgetful. Fear has a way of making us forget what God has done. But look how God responds. What is God's answer to Elijah's prayer? So uh, verse 5 here. And behold, an angel touched him. And said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of the Lord forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There's a lot of cool stuff in here, (laughs) y'all. Pastor Chris has been talking about in Exodus, right? There's all these echoes to what God has done before, all these echoes to past stories. So let me ask a question. When else have you heard of God providing bread and water for a people who were in despair? A people who had seen God do incredible things, but quickly forgot how powerful he was. It's as if God is reminding Elijah of all the things he's done before for him and for the history of his people. This is the same Elijah who lived by a river during the drought, and God sent birds, ravens, to bring him food. This is the same Elijah who met the widow of Zarephath and asked her for water and asked her to bake some bread with the little that she had. And then God continued to provide for them as long as they needed with a little bit of oil and flour. This God that sent Elijah bread and water is the same God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. 
the same God who brought manna from the sky and water from a rock for a whole nation of people. And a whole generation. They, their feet, their, this blows my mind, though. I can't remember the verse, but the, right, their sandals didn't wear out all that time. God knew how to preserve his people. And this is also interesting. God sent Elijah to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, which is the same mountain where God descended in a cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God met Elijah on this same mountain. Could have been the same place. We don't know. A rock, a cleft, a cave. But he met him here, not in thunder like he met Moses, but in a new way. In a way that he had not done before. In a way that Elijah needed to experience God in that moment. He met him with a whisper. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came from him, excuse me, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I wonder if God's ever asked me that question. What are you doing here, Matt? What are you doing? And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Maybe Elijah had good intentions. I feel like we can, we can give him that. But he definitely had wrong information. So God responds in verses 15 through 18 and this is the Matt paraphrase here. <laughs> Wrong answer. I have way bigger plans for you and for my people than you even know. It's not about you. You are not the savior of my people. You are not the only one left. In fact, your job is now to go and appoint and anoint the next generation of leaders and prophets. Stay faithful. Don't give up. I still have plans for you and for my people. Don't worry about Jezebel. Her power is nothing compared to mine. Even if she kills you, I have kept 7,000 of my people who haven't sold out to Baal. You are definitely not alone. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I preserved my people through 400 years of slavery in Egypt. I can handle Jezebel. And he did. Some years later, there was another man who took a journey, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he was tempted to make his own bread. But he resisted that temptation. He trusted the Lord and said, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. 
And as his life was threatened by the religious rulers of the day, he didn't cower in fear. And he paid his life for that choice, not cowering in fear. But God raised him from the dead. That wasn't the end. We're talking about Jesus, our Savior. So here's the message that the Lord has put on my heart to share with you today. Stay faithful. Don't give up. You may feel like Jezebel has a death wish on you, but the same God who kept 7,000 Israelites free from the worship of Baal is the same God who is building his kingdom around the world today. Don't believe the lie that you are alone. Not you as an individual, not you as CNBC, not you or us as the American church. We are not alone. God is building his church around the world and from generation to generation. Some places may still be unreached by us, but they are not forgotten by God. God's spirit is moving. He's relentlessly pursuing the nations through us and without us. The seeds of the gospel that were sown by missionary generations before us are bearing fruit in our own generation. The unreached of past generations are now sending missionaries to other parts of the world. God is raising up thousands and thousands of missionaries from South Korea and Nigeria and Brazil to go to places and serve the unreached, like the Middle East and North Africa and Southeast Asia and Japan, and he's doing it in ways that we wouldn't expect. In 2019, there was a, a couple in Ukraine who contacted our OMF office in Europe. God had given them a heart to go to Japan. So they started preparing but found out it's going to be too expensive. Japan is really expensive. So they waited on the Lord's timing and the Lord's provision, and they continued to serve him in Ukraine. And then COVID hit in 2020 and closed the borders to Japan for two and a half years. And then Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022. The couple was forced to flee west. When they got to the border, the husband was denied the chance to leave because he was of military age. Another closed door. But one of their parents had some kind of physical condition that required the family to care for them. So the parent came to live with them, and somehow that was like the uh, check mark that they needed to get out. So because uh, they were caring for this uh, parent with a physical condition, uh, they were able to get permission to leave Ukraine. Eventually, they ended up in Turkey, just trying to survive and seek the Lord and figure out what is he doing. What was the point of God putting Japan on their heart for all of those years? Surely, it was impossible for them to go as missionaries now. But nothing is impossible with God. While they were in Turkey, they found out that Japan had created a special immigration program for Ukrainian refugees. So this couple applied, and they were accepted, and they moved to Japan as refugees. God had shut the door for them to go on a religious visa, but made another way. 
And it kind of makes me wonder, like, who is it in Japan that God would take this couple through a pandemic and a war and come as refugees just so that they could share the gospel with them? Last month, I was in South Asia, and I met a brother uh, who shared his story with us. We'll call him Moses. Moses was an unbeliever working in a factory uh, when his coworker became ill. This coworker tried everything he could think of to find healing. Doctors, prayers. Uh, this country is heavily Buddhist and um, Hindu, so I suppose he worshipped and gave money to the idols and burned the incense and all that stuff. Nothing worked. But Moses um, somehow came across a Bible, and he read part of the Bible, and he read the story of how when Jesus touched people, they got healed. So he got the idea, and he went to his friend, and he said, hey, can I try something? I just read about this guy Jesus in this book that heals people if they get touched. So he put his hand on one hand on the Bible and put his other hand on the man, and said some kind of a prayer. Remember, he's an unbeliever at this point. And God healed the man. And it, so word got out that Moses had some kind of special healing powers. And other people came to him that had uh, ailments that they wanted prayer for and healing. And he did the same thing. Put his hand on the Bible and put his hand on them. And God did miraculous things. And eventually, someone came along and asked Moses, hey, do you understand who this Jesus guy is? Let me tell you about him. And he shared the gospel with him, and he got saved. And now Moses has started his own business with the goal of sharing the gospel with his co-workers. And people from all kinds of religious backgrounds work there and have gotten saved already. And praise God. God will not abandon his promises. He's building his church. He's preserving for himself a people from every tribe and language and nation. By God's incredible grace, I've been to a few places around the world, and I can testify to you that God is building his church. Uh, one of my, yeah, just mo most powerful memories was being in China and going into a church building and sitting in the pew and just thinking about all the hundreds and thousands of people that have been praying for the country of China and for the believers in China over all these centuries. And how here, here I was in the midst of what God was doing, raising up the church, preserving the church through all kinds of persecution over decades. And now God is using them to go across the world to spread the gospel to other people. I've stood with the urban poor in Manila and sang with them and worshiped with them. Salamat, salamat. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I've been able to worship the same God in churches in Nepal and Jamaica and Dominican Republic and Mexico and New York City and Los Angeles and Dillon, Montana and Benton Harbor, Michigan. I've been able to take communion with brothers and sisters in Korean American and African American and Hispanic American churches. And those are just some of the ones that I've seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears and hugged with my own arms. Some of you have also experienced what I'm talking about with people in Ukraine and in Haiti and in Mongolia and even in Nashville, Tennessee. The same God who reserved 7,000 people in Elijah's day is preserving his church 
today. He is our God, and we are his people, his global people. We are not alone. We are part of a huge family with Christ leading the way. We worship a God who's faithful to his promise, his promise that people from every nation will bow before Christ and proclaim. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. Praise and honor and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So stay faithful. Don't give up. Remember your brothers and sisters around the world in prayer. We are not alone. We serve an awesome God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled uh, to be part of this body that you're building. Lord, your church that you've redeemed. God, we all stand equal at the foot of the cross, needing you. Rescued by you, forgiven by you, Lord. Let us not forget what you've done in the past. Let us grow in faith in your power. Give us the courage to keep going, Lord, when we feel discouraged. Lord, we pray for the, our brothers and sisters, the places, I can just imagine the congregation here thinking of places that they've been around the world, around the country, even in this own community, different bodies of believers that are gathering on the Sabbath this morning to worship you, Lord. Uh, we, we stand with them, God, and we honor and glorify and worship you, Lord. We pray for strength uh, to keep going, uh, to not give up, to stay faithful to the end. Lord, we look forward to your coming uh, when you will wipe every tear from our eye, Lord, and we'll stand before you and worship you and proclaim uh, that there's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved, only Jesus. We pray this all in your name.